Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today our church around the world celebrates the great feast of the Holy Family. The Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, are the quintessential role models for all of our families for many reasons. One, because they radiate genuine love, charity, and respect for each and every person in their family. Now, if you look at the Bible, the Bible's attitude towards family is not always necessarily sentimental. It doesn't always give us a warm and fuzzy feeling. In fact, the Bible's attitude often at times regarding families is very blunt and to the point. And yet, it always serves God's purpose. John Paul II saw this when he celebrated the Feast of the Holy Family several years ago. In this feast, he called upon all Catholic families to establish what he referred to as the Ecclesia Doministic, which is the domestic church within the family. What he meant by this was the families have to establish a church in miniature, a small aspect of the church within their own family. What does he mean by this? Well, in the church, we find what? Love, patience, prudence, forgiveness, mercy. Well, John Paul II said, what we find in our church, we must also find in our families, those same virtues and also the presence of God. Therefore, he called upon all Catholics to develop that Ecclesia Doministic, the domestic church in all Catholic families. How do we do that? Well, first, we create an environment that nurtures love and respect and mercy and patience for all members of the family. Then we recognize that we all belong to God. Finally, after that, we nurture each person's vocation within the family. Now, we see that in the readings, the first reading as well as in the gospel, it paints the beautiful portrait of the Ecclesia Doministic. In the first reading, we have the first book of Samuel, chapter 1. But when you read this scripture passage, essentially we're coming in at the middle part of the story. We don't really understand what's going on. What we have to do is go back to the very beginning of the story. Hannah is the central character of the story. Day after day after day, Hannah goes to the temple and she prays to God that she may be able to conceive and bear a child. And this happens year after year after year. That's why Hannah is so distraught at this point. Now, in our day and age, a woman who cannot conceive and bear a child, well, this is a great source of psychological anxiety and suffering. But if you study world history, you'll see that it's far worse in the ancient world. In the ancient world, there was something devastating about a woman not being able to conceive. 
In the ancient world, a woman's identity came from her ability to bear children. Therefore, if she was not able to conceive and bear children, she did not fully achieve her identity. There was something missing from her identity. Worse yet, in the ancient world, the societies and the cultures back then, well, they created this notion that a woman did something to anger God. And therefore, out of retribution, God withheld this woman's ability to conceive and bear children. See, that's where Hannah is right now. She's begging God, literally begging God in her prayer to receive a child. Worse yet, Hannah is so desperate, she begins to bargain with God. She says to God, please give me a child and I swear I will give that child back to you. Well, God acquiesces and he blesses her with the ability to conceive and bear a child. And see, that's where we pick up now in the first reading. It says that Hannah has conceived a child. She is given birth to a son and she names him Samuel. Now we all know his destiny. Samuel will become one of the greatest prophets in all of Israelite history. And yet she knows she has to give him back to God. Now we can only imagine how emotionally painful this is for Hannah. For years and years, she begged for God for this beautiful gift of a child. And now that gift has been given to her. But she knows that now she has to give that gift back to God. And yet, with great courage and faith, she does just that. And yet, she wouldn't be able to do that unless she created or established that ecclesia doministic that domestic church within her own family. How did she do it? Well, first she created a loving and nurturing environment for Samuel to grow up in. Next, she recognized that Samuel was truly a gift from God. And then she let him go. She let Samuel follow his vocation. She let him go so that he could serve God the way God wanted him to do. That's why Hannah arrives to the temple and she says to the priest, I prayed for this child and the Lord granted my request. Now, in turn, give him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. Well, this is exactly what Hannah has done. She has created the Ecclesia Doministic. And in doing so, now Samuel, her son, follows the will of God. See, that's the vision that Pope John Paul had when he called for all Catholic families to develop the domestic church in all of our families. Now, with that in mind, go to the gospel. Here we see a beautiful portrait of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. How does the gospel story begin? Each year, Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. We'll stop right there. From that statement speaks volumes about Mary and Joseph, that they are very faithful people. And so they go and they celebrate the Passover. And then at the end, they return home. They return in caravans with relatives and acquaintances. In the ancient world, it was very prudent to travel in this manner for safety. Well, suddenly they believe that they have lost Jesus. So the search begins. 
So you may ask yourself, or it may beg the question, how could parents, if they only have one child, and the child is 12 years old, how could they lose that child? Well, you have to understand the Jewish custom in raising a son. When a son is born, the mother begins to raise that son. She becomes the primary parent for that son from the time of birth up until puberty. During this whole period, it's the mother that is the primary parent. She teaches her son manners. She teaches him, above all, the faith. She also may teach him reading or writing. At the time of puberty is the time in which the mother hands off the son to the father. At this point in time, now the father becomes the primary parent in raising the son. The father teaches the son what it means to be a man, also teaches him the trade, whatever it is, carpentry or farming. See, with that in mind, now go back into the gospel with this knowledge. Joseph looks around and he sees Jesus is not with him, so he immediately assumes that he still is with Mary. Mary doesn't see Jesus with him. Therefore, she naturally assumes that now Joseph has taken over the responsibility of parenting Jesus. Notice also the detail that Luke gives us. It says that Jesus was 12 years old. Well, Jesus is now at the time of that transition in which Mary must hand Jesus off to Joseph. And yet he's lost. Now, any parent who's ever lost or misplaced a child, even for just a few minutes, they know what Mary and Joseph are going through right now, wrought with anxiety. They searched for three days. At night, they probably tried to get some sleep, but their minds thought nothing but the worst of what could happen to Jesus. Now, it's interesting. St. Ambrose wrote about this. He refers to it as the great allegory. He says, in the discovery of Jesus in the temple, it prefigures Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was absent in death for three days. Well, he was also absent from his parents for three days. And when he was found, he was found with a whole body, just as Jesus and Mary found him. The anxiety about burying Jesus, Ambrose writes, gives way to joy and relief when Jesus is found resurrected. Well, so too with Mary and Joseph. Their anxiety lasted for three days as they searched for Jesus. And yet, when they found him, it gave way to great joy and relief. Ambrose writes that in this event of Mary and Joseph searching for Jesus lost, prefigures Jesus' death and resurrection and how the apostles searched for him after his death. Now, go back into the story. Mary and Joseph, they find Jesus. Where do they find him? In the temple. What is he doing? Well, he's impressing the scholars with his great knowledge. It says they were awed by his intelligence. What does he say to Mary and Joseph? Did you not know that I should be in my father's house? Well, now Jesus is giving us a glimpse of his own identity. He truly is the Son of God. Notice the next detail. It says, his parents did not understand what he said. You know, that's good. That's very good. Why? Because 
Go back to the very beginning of this gospel passage. It says that Mary and Joseph were very faithful people, and yet they did not understand Jesus and his identity. That's good for us all, because Mary, Joseph, and us all, we are all in the same boat. We are all faithful people. We all go to Mass every week, and yet we don't know or understand all of Catholicism in its totality. The rector of my seminary would always tell us, you cannot know or understand all of Catholicism, sacred scripture, dogma, doctrine, the sacraments. You cannot understand all these things in one lifetime. He would argue it would take at least three lifetimes to understand it all. Now, should this discourage us? No, absolutely not. In fact, it should compel us, motivate us to grow in a greater understanding of our faith. And see, that's what Mary did. That's why it says, his mother kept all these things in her heart. What did she do? She constantly reflected upon these events, and she went over them and over them and over them, analyzing and studying them. Consequently, her faith grew because the knowledge of our faith continued to grow. Well, I often give you that quote, faith won't grow if you don't want to know. One of the main ways in which our faith can grow is by growing in the knowledge of it. That's why whether we're eight years old or 80 years old, we should constantly be growing in our faith. So study art and architecture and music and the lives of saints and sacred scripture. That's one of the best ways in which our faith will constantly be growing. Now, what is the great lesson for us all? Well, the Holy Family teaches us to develop that Ecclesia Doministic, the domestic family, and they are a wonderful portrait of what it looks like. They first cultivated an environment of love, charity, a nurturing environment of respect for all. Next, they recognized that each person is a gift from God. And this is what John is alluding to in the second reading, in which he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Finally, the Holy Family cultivated the vocation for each person in that family, so as to serve God. Each person, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, had a different vocation, so as to serve God the Father. And what did they do? They nurtured it, and they cultivated it for each other. Well, we have to do the same thing. What we have to do is cultivate that vocation for each person in our family. Now, don't make the mistake of equating vocation with priesthood. No, vocation is a broader context. Vocation means God's will, what you need to do to serve the Lord. And so your vocation may be a musician or a cantor at church. Your vocation may be a plumber, electrician, maybe a police officer, a surgeon, lawyer. Maybe your vocation is husband and wife, or maybe father and mother. See, these are all vocations that God calls us to. And yet we don't know them until our family or the members of our family cultivate them, nurture them, and then encourage us to live them out. Just like Hannah did with Samuel. Joseph and Mary did with Jesus. They helped them to learn their vocation and then they let them go to serve the Lord. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.